Isn't that just worth going, wow, why God? That's incredible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Lord, we are broken clay jars uh, with bits broken off and wads of superglue in places and holes. And yet you've put your glory in us. We have this treasure in clay jars to show that the power is not from us but from you. Lord Jesus, be powerful in us every moment. Direct us, guide us. Give us the strength to will and to act according to your purposes. Lord Jesus, be powerful here. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit, or you have sent your spirit, but I pray that you would use your spirit this morning to open our eyes to want you more. Open our eyes to want to choose you more. And give us a desire to not be content with our kingdoms, to not be content with the, the, the uh, gilded jail cell that is life without you. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to me, speak to everyone here. Speak. Thank you, Father. Speak, I pray. Amen. This morning we're continuing our series on the kingdom of God. Um, Last week we saw that God's kingdom is the place where God's will is absolutely done. So, uh, my kingdom is the place where what I say set. Yeah, my kingdom is the place where what I say goes. Um, I'm sure if you were anything like me growing up, uh, when you get into the car, if you're the driver, you're in charge. The radio is your domain. Um, John Ortberg, and and I'm drawing heavily on John Ortberg for these sermons, and, um, and also Dallas Willard. Mark says, no, Nadine is his boss in all things. And Nadine says, we'll talk afterwards. (laughs) Not quite. John Ortberg's got a thing. He says, one of his friends says, uh, if if he's in the car, it's his domain. Uh, The children in the back seat think it's their domain. And they're fighting, fighting. He says, don't make me stop fighting. And they keep fighting. And and he says, a very effectacious way of making your kingdom come is to lightly tap the brakes, in which case they are in reach of your hand to give him a... (laughs) Which is a bit naughty, isn't it? But God's kingdom, most importantly, is the place where what God wants happens. Uh, We saw last week that God made us to be kings. He created us and said, rule the earth. Uh, Not kings over each other so much as at all, but kings over the rest of his creation. And, And of course, we reject God's right to be king. And we say, we will do it our own way. Um. It's like, it's like men's shit for me. Men's shit, says Glennis. It's like me going, I'm going to make a beautiful spice rack. I can see Pam's spice rack. I don't need the pattern. I'll do it my own way. I gave up on that. It doesn't really work. It's kind of this weird thingy. But that's what we do, isn't it? We go, no, we will do it our way. We will do it our way. 
And then the good news is that to a world of would-be gods, um, Jesus comes and he announces his good news, and his good news is more than just, here's how you get into heaven when you die. His, news, his good news is more than just, here's how you cheat death. God's good news by Jesus is that God's kingdom is near. And Jesus says, turn to me, uh, repent, turn to me, believe the good news, come to me, return to your king. In fact, John 6 verse 37, um, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never, ever, 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 ever reject them. Isn't that just a fantastic verse to remember? If you turn to Jesus at any point, he says, done. I will never reject anyone who turns to me. Last week we finished with Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, um, which is Jesus is speaking, and I don't think that verse is up there yet, we'll come to it a bit later. Jesus is speaking about worry, because I don't know about you, but some of us are warriors, and I think we all are warriors in, in, in different ways, but uh, Jesus says, when it comes to worrying about stuff, don't. Rather, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Or if you've memorized it a different way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. Allelu, allelu, ya. But what does it mean? This is where we finished last week. What does it actually mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? It doesn't just come out of the blue, this seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It, it comes in the context of God's kingdom seeking us. And I think this, this is a good thing for us because we think, okay, it's all about me seeking. But actually it's not all about me seeking, it's about God seeking us. Uh, and just let me start before we, we move on. Let me just say, uh, in all of this, I am on the journey with you guys. I have not found the kingdom of God completely. If you found it, congratulations, um, we'll all bring nibbles to the funeral. Uh, because that's how it is, isn't it? We, we are called to seek the kingdom of God. And so let's journey on this together. But let's journey knowing, first of all, that the king seeks us. John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Ha- have a listen uh, to what we, we hear over here. This is a story that Jesus is telling um, about some sheep and a shepherd himself. He says, I'll tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. The one who enters through the gate is the, is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. And they won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. And so he explained it to them. He said, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who came coming through me will be saved. They will come and go freely, and they will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and a satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, the good sheep. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Isn't it interesting that Jesus comes to us where we are? He comes to us in the sheep pen. He's the gate and he's the shepherd and he calls us by name. And he goes ahead of us and he leads us to good pasture. 
Others would have our allegiance, says verse 10, but they come to kill, to rob, to destroy. Um, Satan and our own evil desires at work within us would steal us from the king, but they bring only death. And I love what Jesus says there. He says, no, I have come that they may have a rich and satisfying life, or or some other translations. I have come that they may have life to the full, or life in abundance. Not just life to the full when you die. I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I have come so that when you die you will be alive to the full. It's a nice, nice saying, isn't it? Um, that's true, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I've come that they may have life to the full. And, and, and now, life now. This week I, um, I took some cuttings from some of our plants. And um, being a gardener who wants to make sure that things will grow, because they sometimes don't, I got some rooting hormone gel stuff. And it says very clearly, do not get it into waterways, blah, blah, blah. So I got a jug of water for my... Sh- uh, cuttings to take root in, and I've dipped some of the rooting hormone into the water. So hopefully they're going to grow really nice, strong roots. But I was looking up, and did you know that uh, willow trees are incredible trees? Willow trees are, you can take a stump, and I'm not talking like a twig, not talking a branch, I'm talking a stump, and you can put it in the ground and the thing will grow. And if you want, you can take some of the, the, uh, the twigs off the end of it and you make tea from it. And that tea is just so full of uh, rooting, plant-rooting hormone that you put it on other stuff and they will just go like... They'll just grow. Willow trees have life to abundance. They are full of life. That's the kind of life Jesus says he wants to give us. Not, not just the, oh, I'm going to straggle my way up. But he says, I want you to have life to the full. Life in abundance. Life that is joyful, overflowing. And I think what we need to say is that God made us. God knows what's best for us. And that only when we are following him can we thrive. We are, if we are sheep stuck in the pen, that's all very well. But what we need is pasture. And only if we follow the shepherd will we find it. But we have to choose to, to trust him. Wouldn't it be stupid if a sheep hears the shepherd's voice and goes, I know that shepherd. I trust that he knows where the pasture is. And then sat down again. You actually have to trust him enough to follow him. To trust him, we have to trust Jesus in the here and now. And sometimes you trust him when you're going, Psalm 23, uh, by the calm waters. Sometimes you trust him when you walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, or as new translations put it, the darkest valley of life. To seek God's kingdom is to seek life to the full. To not seek God's kingdom is to not seek life to the full. And, and what is life? John 17 verse 3, Jesus gives us the explanation of life. He says, this is eternal life, 
Knowing you, God, and knowing the one that you sent, knowing me. That's the purpose of life. And yet, Matthew chapter 6, we tend to worry. We tend to get stuck thinking about surviving this day, this life, right here, right now. And Jesus says, I've got a wonderful plan for you. And we go, that's wonderful, God, but, but I'm more concerned about surviving right now. And in context, the call that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In context, that call comes in the light of Jesus saying, trust that God loves you. Don't just trust it intellectually. Actually, trust it enough to live as if it's true. Trust that he's not going to let you go, that he loves you. And if we trust that God loves us then, and, and really trust it, then we don't have to worry about this life. Food, clothing, about how we fail, about how you think of me, how, how I think of you. Romans chapter 8, what, is, what does it say? Can we throw Romans 8 up there, Wayne? Romans chapter 8 says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us a right standing with himself. Who will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and he was raised to life for us and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or are hungry or are destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us, who loved us even past tense. Not just loves us in the present, but who has already loved us and continues to do so. Seeking God's kingdom first is a choice to trust. To trust that God is actually trustworthy for life now. To trust that he actually loves us, that he actually knows what is best for us, that he actually cares for us, that he actually will look after us. Seeking God's kingdom first is saying, with all the other things that clamor for my attention, for all the things that I think I must have to survive, I'm going to jump off and I'm going to reach out and say, I'm going to trust you. There's a wonderful illustration of a trapeze artist. Um, and you think the amazing trapeze artists are the one doing the twirly-whirlies and the somersaults and the blah, blah, blah. Henry Nouwen, a great thinker, uh, went one year, uh, it was a year where he was just struggling with God, and he went and he watched these trapeze artists and he spoke with them. And he spoke to one of the flyers and the flyer said, the secret is, I do nothing. The most important person in a trapeze act is the boring guy is holding hanging by his knees and catching. He says, all you have to do is reach out. But you have to reach out. John Ortberg, uh, where I got that story, says, it's interesting, all of us are on the flight. We've let go of the, the trapeze bar that we've been swinging on. We're doing our somersaults. And either we've got to reach out our hands and be caught and trust that we'll be caught or else we're going to fall. Falling's bad. You get hurt. But you know what? We will only seek the kingdom of God 
Graham says that's weird. Not my phone. <laughs> um, we have to trust that God is good. We have to be convinced of that. Your father says, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 knows all that you need. He's near you. He loves you. Jesus trusted in God's love absolutely, didn't he? He was he just there, his arms out all the time, stretching out for God. He never doubted that God would catch him. He lived on the basis of that. You know that great story where Jesus is asleep in a boat, crossing over from one side of the lake to the other, and there's this big storm raging, and his disciples, who are more like, well, more like me and maybe more like you, uh, they get a little bit frightened. Um, the storm's getting a bit strong. And, and what happens? Uh, Mark, verse over here, uh, Mark chapter 4 tells us that, that Jesus, in the midst of the storm, is asleep. Was it that he was just really, really tired and it was just this gentle movement of the boat, like hypnotizing him to sleep? Or was it that Jesus just trusted that God was in charge? He knew that God had plans for him. He knew what God was going to do. And he just thought, what can a storm do to me? Creator of heavens and earth. I'm sleeping. So what does he do? He, the, the disciples get up and go, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up and says, oh, quiet down. Shush. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm and then he asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, maybe be a bit more afraid after that. But surely if, if there's a storm and it looks like the boat is going to capsize, I'd say, well, Jesus, you want to talk about why we're afraid? Because I was going to die. A horrible drowning death. And Jesus says, don't you get it, God's? Why do you have no trust in God? Now, that is not an excuse to go and do stupid things. Um, let's not take it that way. But Jesus trusted God absolutely. He was comfortable sleeping in the boat because he knew that God would take care of him. Jesus spent his time talking with God, uh, sharing uh, God and the Father and he, I'm sure, their, their, their desires, their heart. Uh, when he raised Lazarus, John 11, uh, verses um, uh, 41 and 42, he prayed out loud and he said, he said, I know that you always hear me, but I'm praying this so that they will know that you hear me. Jesus had this absolute conviction that every time he prayed, God heard him. Jesus was convinced of it. He never questioned if his prayers were being answered or not. Never once did Jesus say, just checking this is one of those super-duper prayer-reflecting ceilings. No, Jesus said, of course God hears me. Of course he hears me. I know that he hears me. Even to the point of death, Jesus trusted that God would vindicate him. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 
he, he spoke to them about his death, and we hear this time and time again. He speaks about his death and how on the third day he would be raised to life again. Jesus trusted it. He just lived that. that he had no doubt at all. What, what he said publicly, he believed. He believed privately, and more than just believing privately, that was actually how he saw the world. This is just how it is. And his good news was that God's kingdom was near and available to us through him. And everything he said and everything he did was in line with the kingdom of God. People possessed by the demonic, people possessed by forces that stand against God, what did he do? He says, get out. And they do. The kingdom of God is the place of life where God is love, God is the source of life. And what does Jesus do when he's confronted with death and sickness? Well, he heals the sick, he heals the injured, he he comes across um, death. And he cries. And he says, this is not the way God wants it to be. That's what his tears say, isn't it? We're told of how he has compassion on them and he, and he raises several people back to life. And then he comes across the lepers and he touches them and he says, God wants more than this in his kingdom. He doesn't want outcasts. And he comes across the social outcasts and he goes and he has a meal with them. He He goes, I mean, think of the dregs of the dregs of society. The people that we love to have a go at. And that's where Jesus goes. Because he says, in my kingdom, everyone is welcome if they just turn to me. Because I love them and I like them and I want the best for them. And those who trust in him, he says, I forgive you, I want you with me. Because that's the kingdom he has. And it's not just a job, it's, it's his whole heart is in there. He trusts God absolutely. He, he just lives the kingdom and when he sees where the will of God is not being done, it breaks him. He's filled with compassion. Matthew 9 verse 36 says to us over here, uh, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus stands looking out over Jerusalem and he says, uh, How often have I longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks under his wings and you wouldn't let me. That's not matter-of-fact, emotional, emotionless language. That, that, is, that is his heart. And in Gethsemane, he cries and he weeps and the blood pours from his paws. He was willing to endure even the cross to tear down the curtain that divides us from God. He was willing to suffer the agony of my sin and your sin that we have done, will do for the sake of the kingdom of God. He trusted God so much that in every single moment of his life, he said, I want that. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get that. Father, I don't want to die, said Jesus. I don't want to have to face this cross. I don't want to have to wear the weight of the world's sins on my shoulders. I don't want it, God, but I want your kingdom so much. 
I want it so much. Your kingdom come, your will be done, God. In everything, his ambition was to please God. John chapter 5, verse 24 to 30 is a really interesting uh, thing here. He says, uh, I, I, I ass- Is that the one? John chapter... F- Let me just read it for you. John chapter 5, verse 24. Have a listen to this. He says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. What a great verse. If you just believe Jesus. And, and by the way, believing Jesus is not ticking a box. It's, it's what Jesus did with God. It's saying, I'm going I'm to live each moment trusting you, God. I assure you the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. And the Father has life in himself, and he's granted that same life-giving power to his Son. He's given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time's coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. They will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who have, continued, who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus offers forgiveness. God doesn't want any of us to die. I'm not willing that any should perish. But he is also the one who will judge. And when he judges, he says, I judge to please the Father, not to please myself. I mean, why did Jesus seek first the kingdom of God? Now, I'm standing up here saying to you, seek first the kingdom of God. And I prefaced it with, and this is something I need to learn to do myself. Jesus is a much better teacher. Because he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And we go... Okay, and he says, watch me. Everything he did was about seeking first the kingdom of God. Everything he was was about seeking first the kingdom of God. And he did it because he knew God and he trusted God. He had this vision driving him, the vision of God's kingdom come. He wanted that. He wanted us to be right with God. And that was the thing that drove him all the time. The times when he was, he'd been working himself flat out, healing people, teaching people. He went up into the hills to pray by himself and then they come and call him and he's just needing a bit of a breather because and, 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 he's, he's God but he's human as well. And he goes, okay, I'm coming. Or he takes the disciples after their long thing and they need, he says, okay, let's have a break together. Let, let's go have a bit of a holiday. We'll just, you and I, we'll, we'll go out together. And then the crowds follow them and he has compassion on them and he teaches them. Why would he do that? Because what what drives him is the kingdom of God. Of course, he also knew how to rest in God, which is a topic of a different sermon. But but he was driven by the kingdom of God. That was the ambition of his life, to please the Father. What is your ambition? What's my ambition? If we're honest with ourselves, it's often not that, isn't it? If God's kingdom is that place where his will is done, to seek God's kingdom is to seek God's will being done. And if I'm going to seek God's will, what God wants to be done, then I have to understand who God is and what he wants. 
I need a vision of who God is. I need a vision of his righteousness. I need a vision of his character. I need a vision of what his heart is. I need a vision of God so captivating of me that I cannot but change everything about me. When you fall in love with someone, you want to please them. You want to make them happy. You'll do whatever it takes to see them smile, to see them happy. Because their happiness means the world to you. In a sense, their happiness makes you happy. And it sounds strange, but... To seek God's kingdom, first we need to fall in love with God. And in any relationship, love is something that you have to foster, that you have to grow, that you have to nurture, that you have to nourish. Graham, how long have you been married to Rhea? Do you love her? Isn't that good? And I'm willing to bet that Graham didn't... I'm picking on Graham because he sits in the front. I'm willing to bet that Graham didn't marry Rhea and then say, right, done, no more flowers, no more chocolates, no more cream on your birthday. In fact, I'm just going to forget your birthday because, like, it's done now. We're married. No, what? Don't answer. <laughs> it's not a good example. Move to someone else. <laughs> they do, absolutely. Two personalities have got to work together. And the interesting thing about marriage is um, neurochemically, there's this incredible uh, phase, and then your brain gets used to it. And you have to work on love, don't you? You have to work on love. And it's the same with us and God. We have to work on knowing him better. And how do you grow to love someone more? You, you grow to know them more. We grow more in love with people by spending time with them. If we want our love to grow. And if we want to come to the place where seeking the kingdom of God first is the thing that drives us naturally, not the, I must remember to seek the kingdom of God first. But the, I'm just doing life. Oh, am I seeking the kingdom of God? I didn't realize I was just doing life. If we're going to come to that point, we have to, we have to do the same. We have to spend time with God. We we have to get to the point where it's not a matter of duty but a matter of delight. We need to allow ourselves to be caught up in how great God is. Romans chapter 1 says to us, well, look at creation. Dallas Willard's got a wonderful quote. He says, flowers are a good place to see the kingdom of God. Which sounds a bit strange. He says, beauty is a testimony to the presence of God. It is good made present to our senses. You can look at the vastness of the universe. You can think about millions and millions of worlds 
millions and millions of suns, galaxies, distances, astronomical, uh, that we cannot even imagine, creating new planets, creating new elements out there, stars colliding, black holes forming, vastness, incredible stuff. There's a little creature I I heard about, I forget its name, that lives here on Earth. It's got four little legs. It's a really weird-looking thing. It's uh, something bare. Uh, It's not an actual bear. It's just a teeny-weeny two or three millimeters. That thing can go into space. Un, without a spacesuit, it just sits there. La 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 la. It just sits there. It doesn't do much. It doesn't do much anyway. And then you can bring it back after time in space, exposed to the elements, radiation, stuff that would kill you and I. Bring it back down to Earth, and it just goes about its business again. Nature is a great way for us to look and say, "Wow, God did that. Why would God do that? That's incredible." But God has also left his own revelation of himself more specifically. He's shown us that he is the God who is love, who loves us beyond our ability to comprehend, who says, I've given them my glory before they've even been born. He's the God who can speak and with a word things come into existence. Things which were not. And a God who who looks at us and says, I want more for you. I'm not willing to let you stay in rebellion. I want the best for you. I love you so much. A God who was so in love with us that while we were still sinners, he came for us and was willing to die for us, to open the way for us. A a God who was willing to get messy for us. I need to finish, but I want to say this, so... Let me say it. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 21. There's a rich young man who comes to Jesus and he's desperate for eternal life. And he runs to Jesus and he says, Teacher, good teacher, what what must I do? What must I do? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and and he says to him, uh, Well, young man, what what are the commandments? Uh, Why do you call me good? He's got all of this. Next one, uh, he he says to him, uh, What are your commandments? He says, He says, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. And the young man turns to Jesus and he says, I know, I know, I know, I know. I've done all that since I was a young man. What must I do? And Jesus looks at him and it's lovely here. It says he loved him. Because in so many ways, this young man wanted to please God. But Jesus also looked at him and and loving him, he knew that this young man didn't want God's kingdom first. And he goes away sad, the young man, because he didn't want to give up his wealth and follow Jesus. I wonder if that's because to him his riches were more real than the kingdom of God. What is it in our lives that we cling to thinking that, that it's more real, more life than life in the kingdom? Because to seek first the kingdom of God is to come to the point of saying, God, you are good and I trust that, that you are better than that. I'm going to give up even that, God. I'm going to trust you even this side of eternity. With my life here. 
really what Jesus is saying, I think, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is, is trust that I know. Trust me. Trust, trust me. Trust that I, the Father, I, the Son, I, the Holy Spirit, know the best way to live, that I know the best way to deal with conflict, that, that I know the best way to deal with your prayer life, that I know to the, des- the best way to deal with your, your thought life. I know the best way to deal with your money. I know the best way to deal with your love. I know the best way to deal with your relationships. I know the best way to deal with your hopes and your dreams. I know the best way to deal with your hurts and the pains. I know the best way to deal with that guy over there who keeps being rude to you every time you see him. I know the best way. Will you trust me, not just to get into heaven one day, but will you trust me for every single moment of your life right now? Will you trust that when I say I love you, I want the best for you, that I actually do? It's quite telling that in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've done as in teaching them to actually trust me in their day-to-day life. Obeying everything that I've taught, to actually do it. (coughs) Seeking the kingdom is a choice each moment to live as Jesus would live if Jesus were me. Not what would Jesus do, or what would I do if I were Jesus, but what would Jesus do if he were me? in my shoes, with my history, with my circumstances. But trusting that God knows best. Problem is we're broken. We we want things that don't please God, that he hates. And we might try and put our willpower to say and say, no, 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 my kingdom comes. To seek God's kingdom first means when we find ourselves in conflict between what we want and what God wants, it means to be honest with God about that and to make a choice. To say something like, God, I want to do this or I want this. But you say that you've got better for me. And I want, your, I want you more than this. I remember who you are. I remember what you've done, all the good things you've given me. I know the wages of sin is death. I know that you've given me the gift of life with you. I want that, God. God, I don't want to seek your kingdom first in this particular instance, but I do. Help me. You see, seeking the kingdom of God first doesn't mean that you stop wanting things other than the kingdom of God. It means that that when you have a a choice to make, you actually are honest with God and, and say, God, I don't want to seek your kingdom first, but I do. Help me. doesn't make it easy, but God is with us. If we are going to seek the kingdom of God, we need to have a vision of God that just blows us away. We need to spend time getting to know God. We need to be reading our Bible. We need to be praying. We need to be listening to to sermons. We need to be sitting in nature, sitting in your garden. Sit in your garden for a while. It's really good, good theology sitting in your garden. And we need to set our hand to the plow. We need to actually set to live as if God were king, not me. It's all very well to say, God, you are king, but we actually need to live as if it's true.
So you all know how to do that. That's wonderful. Uh, from now on, all of us are going to naturally choose to seek the kingdom of God first. Amen. Amen. If only that was true. Hey, we get stuck at the first one where we have this amazing vision of God. We need to work on that. Let's start on that this week. Let, let's start on that first of all. Let's start wanting it first. But, but next week, good news. Let me finish with this. <laughs> Sit back. <laughs> it's about offering God our lives. And there's some things that we can do that can help us um, grow in this. Uh, and there are some spiritual disciplines and there are some things that we can teach ourselves because quite frankly we are marred by sin and this doesn't come naturally to us the way it came naturally to Jesus. Uh, as a teaser, Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Uh, uh, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do this? We need a vision of God. We need an intention to do it. What are the means by which we can actually do it? Stay tuned. Same channel, same place next week. But this week, let's just spend time wanting to see God more clearly. Anna Marie. Speaking of marriage, there's a flag.